to the ether today is friday october 28th 2022 today on the ether part two of the two-part chepe space the cosmos strategy let's take a listen i was just looking uh, it looks like the, the uh, lunatics lunatics uk have met up for a pint um and i and i uh, i wasn't invited so i feel very left out so i'm just sitting here feeling very sad um i would have to fly though so I don't normally fly to the pub. It's, it's not very good for the environment. I think you emit quite you a lot of carbon. Like you, should, you, felt like, you felt like you should have been invited, though. Yeah, yeah. As, as someone from the UK, I, I feel like that that's some, like my right to be invited. I don't know. Is, is it possible people just don't like you? That's also a possibility. Yeah, that is possible. Um, it's, it's extremely likely. I'd say that's actually more likely than not. I think it's probably because, um, yeah, they just... Uh, they don't like my pessimism. They just, they just want to hear number go up. So, um, you know, it is what it is. Um, has anyone here got a story of uh, a bull market conversation they look back at and they laugh about because of how stupid and, and euphoric it was? Um, I'll go first. Uh, let's see. Probably when I was, like, browsing watches. <laughs> and uh it was like oh this omega watch this this rail master it's like eight grand it's like oh come on man no way like what a stupid waste of money it's like no come on like you know it's it's you gotta treat yourself in these times you gotta buy these what these fucking <laughs> expensive watches you gotta spend all this money um obviously like completely irresponsible like who needs that um and i don't even know where it is so <laughs> just uh yeah, does anyone else have any conversation? Did you actually about? buy it or you didn't get it because you were like, this is stupid? Um, look, like Bedali gift cards were not buy in every single shop. And um, so, you know, did I liquidate some Luna? Uh, that was actually a crime, by the way, at the time, liquidating Luna. You weren't allowed to do it. I don't know if you remember this, but the vibe was like, you, you're fucking sold, man. What the hell? You sold your Luna? You crazy? Um, so I kept that on the down low. Uh, like you know just squirreling away sneakily selling a little bit here at 50 dollars oh little bit cool you know and then feeling really stupid when it went to 120 and thinking oh man fuck should i buy back in no 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 actually i remember selling when it broke 50 uh, no no selling and then buying back above like 51 i was oh like fuck, it broke 50 you fuck, sold low and bought high <laughs> yeah i did so, yeah you know, i was like <laughs> you know it's funny um so, well, I don't know about funny, but every time now that you see any other coin, right, um, you just can't fall in love with the tokenomics. Am I right? Like that's the, so like no matter what you're looking at, you're like, um, I don't know. This thing looks like it inflates into infinity 
And like, you know, aren't people going to just sell this yield and the price won't go up or whatever. Right. And then any kind of like um, fake deflationary mechanism, like different burn things, you're like, wait, this won't work long term. Nobody's going to keep playing on this chain that has this weird burn mechanism. So like tying some sort of coin to some real world revenue or some product that people want. Um, and that would then kind of create revenue that would cause like essentially a stock buyback uh, argument for um, like a tokenomic, like almost nothing sort of has like a perpetual flywheel that that would be the case. So now it's like, shit, um, like it's like in some ways it's like, wait a minute, what is, what is crypto good for then? <laughs> it's like, like, yeah. Right. Because yeah. like you could do all the other trading and shenanigans if you had somewhere to put it that was um, like some kind of store value proposition. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Most projects, you look at them and you go, yeah, exactly that. It's like, this isn't Terra. Where's my where's my uh, burn mint? And then if you look, if you find a burn mint project, you go fucking idiots. Burn mint doesn't work. I can't invest in this. It's going to go. It's going to be too reflexive. It's going to zero. Um, so yeah, really it's about, well, I don't even, I don't even mean like the stable coin type burn mint. I'm just saying like any sort of burn mechanism oh, yeah, yeah. tied to any real world, anything like doesn't really exist. Right. That's, that's what I'm getting at. Mm. Uh, you can only tie the, like the, the biggest thing you can do for your project is to, um, to add, uh, greed. So if in the example of gaming, you have the marketplace where players want to win. Like, like, why do they want to win? Because they want to be the best. And so what do they need to do? Well, they need to have the best, the meta equipment, the, the meta players, whatever. And so they're willing to pay money for this because now you've introduced something into your system called greed and competitiveness. Um, and now that is your source of yield. Does that make sense? Right, right, right. Well, well in a game, the difference is, is that you're actually paying for entertainment though too. So at least the thing you're having fun while you're doing it, and that's another key. So I can understand if you're paying Disney World so you can go on the Mickey Mouse ride and the you know Space Mountain and all that shit because you're basically paying for a service which is entertainment. So the gaming piece at least makes sense that like the revenues earned because it entertains you somehow. So I think the gaming side of thing uh there's sort of a bullish thesis for that, but the bearish thesis for the gaming side of things is like what game has lasted forever? Right. I don't care if it's like a sandbox or a Minecraft or what's the other one, uh, Decentraland or whatever. Like at some point, like people will get bored of that just like they do of everything else. And any kind of assets you have tied to a game, I don't know, that they, they, like long term don't necessarily make sense unless like a game has a staying power, like maybe chess or something like that. But the other problem is, is like any kind of blockchain based gaming where there's money involved, there is a very strong incentive to deploy like uh, external AI and uh, other systems to like beat all the players. Right. So you already know that, like, if you have open a not open AI, if you had um, Mu Zero, you know, like attached to some blockchain game that it's going to basically fuck over all the players and beat you every time kind of a thing. It's going to, it's going to be able to, you know, optimize really, really well. And it's going to like, uh, you know, it's going to extract all the value so that, I don't know, the gaming 
bearish thesis would be that you'd have to make it somehow anti mu zero, which is essentially saying it's impossible, which <laughs> so that's a different set of problems. Hmm. Well, you could apply that to trading too. So I don't know. Um, it seems like at some point there'll be an AI which can out trade everybody and all their strategies and all their bots. And it can just piece together the whole system and it can make the perfect trades and it can, and it can beat, you can just extract all the money from everyone. Um, and if such an AI existed, would anyone actually admit to having it? Uh, it would be a very profitable AI to have some kind of a market making AI that looked at the whole of crypto and said, yep, here's a strategy, boom, execute. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm out, you know, same with MEV. Um, I don't know, will people solve that first or will they solve AIs that can play FIFA? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But either way, I think AIs are going to completely ruin everything. So let's try and make as much yeah. money. <laughs> they're going to they... completely. AI is essentially the MEV of everything else, right? Like if MEV, like in Ethereum is the MEV of that, like AI is the, like the MEV of life, basically. Like it's just going to extract from literally everything. It's just, I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's actually a nice, that's a nice analogy. Yeah, yeah. It, it ruins everything. <laughs> I think the only issue that I have with that is that if you introduce AI that beats everyone all the time, then it makes it totally disinterested for people to play it because that is the biggest suspicion people have is that the house always wins. So I don't see that that being totally the way that we're going to go. Yeah, it, it, the problem will be it will turn up. The AI will turn up um, everywhere that anyone is interested in competing where they can make money. Um, but I don't know, this is like maybe some uh, some stupid utopian um, sci-fi thing, but I don't know. I don't know how far away this stuff is. I'm getting pretty spooked out by the, um, the AI-generated uh, sort of content I'm seeing on Twitter now. And, um, you know, anyway, but... Uh, we'll see we'll see but I, I think the gaming thing has some legs you know there are ways you can sort of um transfer value from one game to the other so even if it gets botted well we've got a new game and it's different and you can transfer all your stuff so you know off we go i think that's well, um i think one angle. Though, ears you know where the like people aren't using their imagination yet is that they just like it's like thinking like ai is just some other like random tech like televisions or airplanes or something like it's just nowhere in the same ballpark magnitude effect as anything that's ever happened since the fucking invention of fire right like it's that it's that huge and um i think the the fact that you're gonna feel getting spookier and spookier about the type of things that you're seeing is because you're like holy shit like that looks sort of like my job Right. Like it's going to be and it's not like um, back in Industrial Revolution where like a lot of the jobs that got taken over are the jobs that you didn't want to do anyway. Right. Like you mass produce things that like were really cumbersome to do so by hand and consumers got a lot more cool shit. The difference now is like, um, you know, people are going to get bored of the next best cool shit a lot quicker and on top of that the the thing is going to be able to make like it's going to be able to take over intellectual jobs so the jobs that you are running away from because you didn't want to like go farm things or work in the military or something 
those are exactly the jobs that are going to be missing because the intellectual stuff, like the professional jobs are the ones like um, fairly readily, easily replaceable by machine learning systems, right? Like, so I, I think uh, people misunderstand. Seth, or, even even yeah. some of those, right? Even some of those you can't take away. So you can, for example, you could probably replace some devs, right? Because they're coding. So if you teach an AI to code, they're going to code well. But in terms of things like program managers, project managers that have to organize the chaos, I don't see them ever taking over something like that. I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a tendency to disagree with this. <laughs> you have to see how <laughs> you have to see how good like Mu Zero actually is at replicating what it is you do by just simply watching you do it. Right. So like it, it, if it can like, Mm, pretend to be a human like 95%. You have to understand like, okay, wait a minute. There's a substantial portion of the planet whose IQ is 85 or below, right? So, you know, if it can copy a person that's like an IQ of 110 to the point that, that it can replicate an IQ of 90, right? It doesn't have to necessarily get rid of all of the workload of a product manager. But if it takes away like... I don't know, 70% of the workload, then your job is no longer at a sufficient scale to make it worth paying you what they're paying you for now. You follow what I'm getting at? So like, it doesn't have to get rid of your job completely. It just doesn't, it has to make it so that it's not worth paying you as much as you were once paid for the thing that you're doing anyway. And that's my concern. Like, and I can see it, like, I can see it, you know, many of the processes that I do like in medical, like that can be easily be replaced by AI. Not even like, you don't even have to use your imagination for very long to realize that they're going to be replaced the soon as someone decides to implement some strategy. It's just simply a matter of implementation. It's not even like some, some of these things that I'm talking about are not even like technological things. Like the technology can already do it right now. The only thing that hasn't happened is someone just hasn't put it together in a box and like said, here, um, do this, right? Like, that's the funny part. It's very similar to how like in the late, um, so in the late nineties, I used to be thinking, well, okay, look, we have Wi-Fi, we have the internet. Why don't the thermostats, you know, predict what the weather is going to be based on the weather report. And why don't they use that data to sort of adjust the temperature of your house to make it more comfortable. Right. How long did it take before? Like I thought of that in the late nineties and it actually come to fruition as like, you know, smart thermostats today, you know, it took like, and even now, like they're not that great, about almost 20 years, right? 25 years, but it wasn't like the tech wasn't there already. It's just that no one bothered to like create it and sell it. And so what I'm saying is like, even in professional careers, a lot of the things I'm seeing as far as like workflows, and then what I've seen actual AI do, I'm like, holy shit, like, this is going to be able to do some substantial fraction of my workload. And therefore it may not be worth paying me what I'm getting paid now. And if you train the AI to do like, let's say even like 10% of my workload, but then that same AI could be deployed to eliminate the workload of every single doctor that does my job. Then you've now just eliminated 10% of the workload of the entire population of doctors that do my job. Right? So you see how that like, it starts to erode away at certain things. And um, I don't but know. Sophia, I, well, while, while I agree, right, what happens when it fucks up, 
right? Because everything fucks up at some point. Maybe it's shorts or whatever. Who's going to take responsibility? Who's going to blame well, one AI? But, it, but if you look at medical right now, uh, human beings are going to fuck up way more than what it, how an AI would fuck up. So my point to you is that like you're making the assumption that responsibility, the patient or something, for example, is going to want the, a human doctor. What I'm telling you is if you were to compare like how much more precise an AI is going to be in terms of accuracy when it comes to a lot of things that I teach people, um, it's going to do a job that's like orders of magnitude better than the average doctor that I see doing the exact same thing. So that should concern you. Like you're assuming that humans are all that smart. Like I, I train doctors for a living and I watch how they perform after they go out into the real world. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're not doing the shit I taught you to do. Like I could train a computer to do this shit and it would get be, be done a lot better. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. Um, I think when the efficiency of the machine is actually better to a large extent than the human, um, patients are going to expect to be treated with the best technology possible. Like, for example, you'll see people requesting, for example, robotic surgery because, you know, the incisions are smaller and the, um, you know, the precision of the procedure is better, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, people tend to demand the tech that works if they believe that tech is going to make the outcome better than the human version of the same thing. So, I don't know. I, I think that's kind of what and I think I don't think it's that far away, actually. I, I think you should like I think everyone should be very concerned about this, like especially if you have kids and they're going to they're going to go into the workplace at some point over the next like 10 to 20 years. Um, it's super, super relevant. Like it may not be relevant depending on what generation you are um, and how much magnitude effect it's going to have on your life directly. But we'll I, see. I don't I don't disagree with you, Seppi, but I don't think it's coming as fast as you think. Because I think there's a big thing about accountability and empathy is another one, especially in your profession. K K K K K K K K K. Yeah, I think so. His phone is switching. He just left the car. Let's give him a second. That's funny. <laughs> um, what you guys didn't realize <clears throat> is that any of the little weird sort of digital artifacts you were hearing in Sefi's voice is because he is actually an AI trained to host Twitter spaces. Um, yeah, and nobody here has known, noticed it. Um, which, is, which is like, just to prove his point further, his own point about AI. Um, and the other thing to know is because of AI and because, well, now, what's it doing now? It's kind of enhancing enhancing our jobs and, and creatively. Creatively is quite, is quite good. You know, it, it generates images, it generates videos. Um, it gives you really nice ideas. Soon you'll be able to do the entire jobs, blah, blah, blah. blah. Um, fast forward 15 to 20 years, we're going to have to go back to communism because no one will be able to work any jobs um, and only a very, very select number of people will have skills the AI can't do. Um, things like cleaning the AI server room, for example, perhaps the AI will create bots to do that eventually, but to start with, at least we'll have that job. Um, char recharging the AI um, and making sure that the power lines to the AI are sort of like kept, well kept. So these will be the prime sort of um, uh, functions and features that humans will be able to provide. The majority of people will have to just like exist. Um, they won't have a job. They have to live though. So how do we feed these people if they can't earn money? Well, we need a universal ba basic income, um, which is slowly creeping you know, back towards you know communism. But it's, it's if you were here. 
you know, Bruce yeah, would say well, if he were here, he he would say, "Well, once the AI gets cognizant, they wrap up all their shit, leave on a spaceship, and leave us here in the shithole." <laughs> Something like that. Exactly. We'll be on the spaceship going to Wally Land. I guess the question um, is. Well, um, sorry. No, no, you, you go. I was just going to say something silly. Okay. Um, I guess from a, thinking more of like mental health, psychology aspects of this AI, it's like I'm just imagining a whatever robot of some sort just like sitting in and watching the behaviors of a psychologist and then almost duplicating themselves to have maybe multiple patients. Is that like possible? <laughs> yes, exactly. So the other thing is um, that um, the scalability of AI is just ridiculous because let's say, for example, um, let me think of a process that you might be used to on a, any regular basis. Mm, I don't know. Let's say like uh, collecting receipts and filing your taxes or something like that, right? Once you have a system that can do it once and you can do it for, let's say, maybe 10,000 people and maybe, you know, 10,000 edge cases and rare situations or maybe 100,000 edge cases, that can be deployed for every accountant that ever was. Right. And you don't have to have um, like, in other words, you're, you're not replacing 10,000 accountants with 10,000 AIs. The one thing can replace everybody's workload. That was the other piece of this. So you don't, it's not going to require that many people to maintain this box because like the entire planet's worth of radiologists can be taken over with one box, right? Like, so that's the, that's the thing. It's like you don't – it's the scale is just breathtaking. And therefore, the reason to, people are going to build these things is because the economic incentive to do so is really, really high. Who wants to pay more for, say, for example, their Medicare, I'm sorry, their medical care than they otherwise would have to? So they're gonna want these efficiency pieces. And we're all just gonna put ourselves out of jobs the same way like transporting jobs to China. Um, we preferred it so that we can get cheaper, you know, clothes and we can get cheaper television sets or whatever. In the name of like the the lower price for the consumer. Um, you're going to end up doing this. And the only alternative is to not do this and say, hey, wait, we're going to do it the old-fashioned way. We're going to go pen and paper. We're not going to use computers. We're going to go like Luddite or whatever. But then the problem is is that you're not going to be competitive with other countries that are doing this. So the arms race is basically on. You you have to compete with other countries. And therefore, you know, you, it, like the, it's an inevitable thing that all of this happens because of that. It's it, The arms race part of it can't be taken out of the equation. I guess so, when. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say something serious this time, uh, kind of maybe. Uh, the the end game of all this is that prices get lower and lower and lower as more and more people lose their jobs. Yes, can you hear um, me? Or are you? Speaking? Oh yeah, I can I hear, you. hear you. Oh no! Did I break this somehow? It's happened. You can't hear me. Even come back. <laughs> can anybody hear me? I can hear you. I can hear you. Okay. Um, okay, we're going to wait for Sefi. I think he's leaving and coming back. Uh, 
Yeah, the, you know, guys, just be aware. Sophie's very afraid of AI, and he's, he's really worried about this. Uh, yeah, so um, uh, let's uh, get back to our AI conversation. But we've decided it's not that big a deal, haven't we, guys? Guys, it's not that big a deal. We shouldn't worry, should we? I'm not worried. <laughs> I guess, like, what I see this is we all get to be turned into Ready Player One and just maybe go have fun. I don't know. Sounds kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You'll be free to do whatever you want, to pursue whatever artistic or creative pursuits or neither of those things. Just sit there. You can do whatever you want with your time. Um, you'll have universal basic income and everything will be free because the AI has figured out how to basically just like procure any kind of material and synthesize it and just provide it um by that point so it's kind of like terminator maybe so, here's, here's a way to think of this a little bit like how about this let's say you move to some alien world and the aliens were all like you know 10x smarter than human beings okay and you show up in this world um like and you are stranded on this planet with these creatures that are just way smarter than everybody that you know um how would you feel about living amongst these aliens? Would you would you have an inferiority complex? Are you going to feel like they're putting you in a zoo and just you know, oh look at the cute little human? Um, like, what do you think it would do to your ego if such a thing, such a situation were to happen? Alien zoo. You want to be in the alien zoo? Yeah, if it's like if it's luxurious, I feel like if they're that smart, it probably would be. No reason to uh, when they want to keep keep you preserved and and lasting a long time and in a happy mental state. So you're you want to just sort of like maybe go to the alien beach, sit at that beach. You don't give a shit if they're smarter than you or or whatever it is, and <laughs> just yeah. relax and. Yeah, it'd be cool. This... You see different shit. And, uh, why not? It's like um. I forget how you pronounce this. I'm kind of, you know, jaded from if we find that there's aliens and they're smarter than us, it's the end of the human race, right? Like straight up. That's not a fun feeling. So I think Peabard, I'd be in the same position of like, well, I guess I'm here. Let's make it the best it can be. But then you kind of let go of the sense of progression and make it. I don't know. That's what I would do. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about for like well, the human being. That was just on an individual scale. It's just me. an idea that actually there's a bigger, more intelligent, stronger being on top of us, right? And people have lived for thousands of years with this thought in their minds all day long. What if God's just an alien? Well, there's not really that much difference technically right like call god an alien or whatever yeah. uh shrewd uh is an alien i think uh what's your opinion about all this shrewd seems to have disappeared Sefi, what are you eating mm, chick-fil-a <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> what'd you get Mm, like some sort of spicy chicken sandwich and fries and whatever. <clears throat> Had to go pick up my kid from school. Uh, 
his chauffeur today is like, she's like, I'm not, I'm going out of town. You need to pick up your own kid. I'm like, all right, fine. So I, did, <laughs> I went and picked him up. Um, he's like, can we go to eat something before we go home? I was like, all right, fine. He's like, all right, Chick-fil-A. And here we are. Um, does your child, son, does your son know that you're a famous internet celebrity? Yeah, he's listening to all your retards while we're driving home. He's like, uh, oh, look, your internet friends are talking again and whatever. And he's like, has his own opinions in the background about AI and stuff like that. And he's trying to <laughs> formulate an opinion. It's funny. It does seem like communism is the is the solution to this with an AI sort of Charles uh, uh, Joseph Stalin um, leading the whole thing. But that, that seems to be the optimal solution. I think there's like like sci-fi movies about that sort of shit, right? Yeah, probably. Um, do, do you ever see the series um, on Sci-Fi Channel, uh, Battlestar Galactica? That was very good. No, I, the I know what it is. Yeah, with this, with the Cylons. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, I mean, well, I probably shouldn't spoil it if you haven't seen it. It's really one of the better sci-fi series, like literally ever. Uh, worth seeing if you haven't looked, watched it, but I think it does a really good job, like uh, sort of connecting the idea of humanity and robots and what that would look like over like thousands of years and or millions of years, and what that would look like from the perspective of like how would a human behave um, versus some sort of um, computer being of some kind, like an AI being. And, um, how would, like, what if the AI is like, I wish I was a human, <laughs> then, then what happens? So you get this weird, like feedback loop of, um, Hey, I'm made of silicon. I wish I had biological feelings like these feelings, but I can't have them unless I become an actual human. So you know what, in order to become that, I've got to become a biological organism and then vice and then the biological organism says, wait a minute, I want to build like robots and things. And it goes in a big cycle. That's sort of the idea behind that um, series to some extent. And it, it does a really good job of sort of like looking at the kind of the existential issue of like, it's almost a grass is greener on the other side thing. Like, hey, if I was a super intelligent genius robot creature, like, oh, you know, wouldn't the world be my oyster? And then the flip side is like that, that creature is like, oh, I wish I could feel, you know, what it feels like to have the touch of the skin or something like that. And, you know, or, you know, I wonder what uh, French fries taste like to a human being versus, you know, like, uh, so it's like, what would it be like to experience the other uh, person and or being that being is something that like, I don't know, you, you don't really ever achieve unless you are that being to some extent so the idea would be like an ai type creature would eventually want to synthesize like a human body type um structure in order to experience life the way a human does or something like that right anyway <clears throat> so it's you like, watching any black mirror <laughs> but that's not that different i suppose than like uh jesus showing up and you know uh, living the life of a human, even if like Jesus is God and, you know, the, the invention of like 
uh, I don't know, the universe was God, but then he's going to come here and like play human for a while and like experience that. Um, it gives me that kind of vibe, but oh, I haven't God. seen Black Mirror actually, Bard. I should probably watch that. I've heard people say good things. Hey, uh, Sefi, um, I've been asked to, to ask you to put Lunkdow CEO in your bio. Um, okay. Uh, by the authorities. The authorities. Okay. I have to put it. Okay. All right. Here we go. What number are you going to be, Sefi? Um, I don't know. I'm just put CEO. I, I'm gonna, I'm not going to identify as a number. So, how much of the first season of Battlecar Battlecar Galactica Battlestar Galactica is based around robots trying to find chips to taste them? so they can see what french fries taste like mm, none of it exactly <laughs> yeah. that was what you said the premise if i was, if I, was oh. if I was an ai like what would i want to be able to do right i see i see so the show is not about them trying to find the last french fries for the robots to try and taste taste them so they can see what it tastes like yeah, I, I was going to watch it, but now I'm not so sure. It's really not that far off, actually. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> I, I do really like boil it down to like the you know the brass tacks or whatever. Oh man, I don't mind sci-fi. I did see I did see Black Mirror T Bard. I thought the first series was pretty good. I thought it got worse and worse, um, and more and more watered down. And it, the, the worst episode was. Um, uh, the the dogs chasing them, um, the robot dogs. I don't know. <clears throat> I like the first series, where the woman clones her dead her dead boyfriend, um, to uh, to sort of like live with him, and uh, and lived with like a, a it's like a postal service that you get like, um, a uh, a strange sort of clone weird version of of your uh dead partner or your uh, you know family member and um that was that was pretty fucked up which is why it's interesting on that note i guess can ai you know um mimic a soul i mean i can't even imagine that happening obviously in my generation but i think it depends on what you consider a soul precisely <laughs> Exactly. I'm just like, okay, Fish. is it actually something special? Well, I think it's special. Like, and what's the, what's the feature of a soul that makes it a soul to you? No idea. Can't explain it. Too dumb. Too human to know. <laughs> I don't know. I do know that there's like a little piece of your brain that if I were to take it out, um, you would be missing part of your cognitive ability. <laughs> And you'll be like, wait, I thought that was part of my soul. And now I'm not so sure. Right. So <laughs> that's the problem with the definition of the soul. It's just largely, I don't know, some part of our, our you know, uh, thought process or whatever. And here's the other funny thing. Like, okay, let's say, let's just take some hypotheticals here. So let's say I had a stroke. I lost the ability to use my right arm. And it's quite possible, given the shit that I'm eating, that that's, that could happen. Um, so let's say my right arm goes down and like, you know, cause the left, uh, motor cortex stroke. So that affects the right side of my 
body function, right arm, right leg. And uh, so when I go to like heaven or whatever, um, A, I don't need arms and legs anymore. And, and therefore, like everything I ever learned about walking and like feeding myself and like raising my hands up in the air, like on a roller coaster or whatever the hell you do with arms and legs, like all of that was not needed anyway. And so therefore you didn't need that baggage for, for heaven or whatever. Um, or B, you go to heaven and your right arm and right leg still don't work because, well, that was your soul and, well, it's just too bad. Um, so let's say, uh, and this is where it gets a little bit kind of weird. You're like, okay, let's say you were born with severe brain damage. Like you have cerebral palsy or something like that. And, um, you know, uh, but you know, you, you never, know where this is going, <laughs> you never, you never sort of developed, like, I don't know, whatever it is you believe, you know, other people develop that don't have that. So in heaven, do you now have cerebral palsy? Do you know how to talk to people? Like, do you know how to, I don't know, do what you like, like, what is that exactly? So it's like, is it just about being alive or is like, or, you know, do you have to, or do you measure your soul as part as some element, of your cognitive function? And therefore, like, that's the part you find valuable. Um, what about all the stuff that your brain does that you don't notice? Like, for example, I don't know, it's regulating your heartbeat. Um, it's doing things like um, making you breathe while you sleep. Um, you don't need any of that shit in the afterlife, I suppose, if such a place existed, right? <laughs> so it's like, wait, is that your soul? Um, you know, so I think this definition of what exactly it is, as soon as you start like picking apart what it is about the way you think, you find that there's a part of the brain or part of your body that like, you know, that's the reason why you think the way you do. And let's say you did go to heaven without any of these things. You don't have your, I don't know, like, let's say knowledge or education or your arms and legs or whatever it was don't matter. Then when you showed up in heaven, you wouldn't even recognize yourself. Like, what is it about you that made you you in the first place then? If it wasn't for your physical attributes, your thoughts, your actions, your ideas, whatever, like, what would you do when you get to heaven? Like, let's say normally every day, Xerox Sears goes to the office, he does some work, um, he plays on Twitter spaces for a while, and he hangs out here and, uh, like, you know, um, trolls T-Bard and whatever. And, um, like, then he goes to heaven, he's like, wait, I don't have these things. Um, and you're, he's looking around. It's like, wait, like, where am I? And what do I do here in this place with my soul without a body? Do you just look around? Do you sort of like, I don't know, God is there and you just look at him all day and night? Uh, maybe uh, Xerox ears might go to hell, in which case, like, he's looking at perhaps Beelzebub or some devil or something. He's just doing that, uh, maybe suffering. He's like, wait, I wish I was over at God, but the people that are over at God are wishing that they were back home you know, at the office and playing on Twitter spaces. Um, right. Like, so it's like, it's not really clear to me that like, let's say you went to this place with your soul. Mm, how do you know you're going to like it? Or maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, how, how do you, how are you going to even recognize yourself um, when you get there? Uh, yeah. The whole thing seems pretty nebulous to me. 
ears. Do you have any like spiritual philosophy of how you're going to play this out? Oh, well, um, well, I'm just debating um, what to say here. I think there's a serious point, like you say in there, Sefi, about kids with cerebral palsy and bone cancer and things. Just like, what was the point of that? You know, straight, straight to heaven. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, I don't really see the, the benefit of this system uh, that's been designed where, uh, you, you know what I'm getting at. It's just a bit, all, all a bit meaningless. Well, what, um, about the chim- other- what about chimpanzees who can read and write? Which that's a thing. So- they definitely go to heaven. Their I don't soul, think that's a question. When you sit and sit down with them, are they are they going to be able to talk on the level of humans, or are you going to like use like little crayons, and maybe draw little pictures? Like what's happening with the chimpanzee um, and you? How are you going to normally, the monkeys in heaven? No, normally, chimp heaven and human heaven are segregated. Um, it's a bit of an apartheid system. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> the <laughs> The um the problem with um with this system um is that you know uh, saying, like, really, chimpanzees have like a chimp Jesus and the Ameri- and the yeah, Americans this, have this, like this. a white Jesus and then the or something yeah exactly that um so uh, that's actually an excellent point I had never considered because many animals are conscious um, many animals have experiences and thoughts probably horses recognize themselves in a mirror. Um, are they conscious? Do they have a soul? Where do you draw the line? Do rats have a soul? Maybe not. Their brains are pretty small. Does my dog have a soul? His brain's about the size of a walnut, but he seems to be conscious, possibly. Um, well, you know but- what would be really funny, Ears? What if you went to heaven? Actually, I'm going to send Slinky to heaven. Slinky, you're going to go to heaven, and God shows up right in front of you, and God looks like a gorilla. Oh, God. Okay. You're going to be like, what? the fuck no but i accept him with open arms because he accepted me with you shouldn't open you shouldn't you shouldn't um accept him with open arms he will grab one and you're like arms. i don't have arms i actually don't have arms i'm just light and energy you're gonna be like i always i looked at michelangelo's um paintings or sistine chapel and i thought you were a old man that looked like gandalf from the wizard of oz and you're like you're a gorilla. Like, how like, do you like soak fuck. that in? Like, how do I respect this? <laughs> how does your soul? How does your soul take this in at this point? That's the thing, right? Yeah. Oh. Do you I'm even not have so sure I want a soul? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, at that point. Yeah. Well, okay. So wait, backing up, what I was trying to say is that you there's going to be a point in life where we have AI enough that robots can mimic the simplicity of human brains to be able to fall in love with robots or find partnerships with them to enough that it mimics that they have a soul enough that you can tap in and be interactive with them to meet the needs that we need as humans. Well, T-Bug really just needs like a federal prison with like a TV screen with a view of the beach and maybe like an Xbox 360 and he's like, I'm going to stay here forever. Right? Like, so, like, he doesn't even need, like, any special anything because the aliens are so much smarter than him. He's like, I don't care, whatever, as long as they take good care of me and, you know, I could maybe live forever and 
sort of like, I don't know, play PlayStation or something. Like, I'm good, right? I don't think I'd want to live forever in the alien prison. I'd still want to die one day. Okay, so if so, if the aliens, what if their technology could make you live forever and now, like, you're bored of your 10 video games that you took with you to Planet Xena? Uh, what are you going to do? Like, you're going to just play those 10 video games over and over again. You're going to, like, try to learn. Well, you can't even speak the alien language because they're, like, 10 times smarter than you. So, like, that's not going to work. Maybe you take up artwork. Maybe have, like, maybe do, like, graffiti on their walls or something. Yeah, Sefi, I actually like the idea of a perpetual hamster wheel more, right? So reincarnation, so you get to do it over and over again. And you don't know what happened before. I like that idea more. And actually, I mean, if you die and the Christian believes, you know, what happens if you just get into heaven, like in the state that you died, right? You just had a car accident. <laughs> or... Or, God forbid, you're an old guy with 89 years, you know, and now you you stay there for the rest of eternity with all your, I don't know, ankles, knees, and bones hurting, right? <clears throat> Not kind of a, a good outlook. Do the people in heaven with dementia even know they're in heaven? Well, that's, um, I think, but that's what I was trying to say earlier. I, I don't think so. Maybe. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, what if you do you get your brain back? So, if the demented person can get their brain back to normal, that would mean the cerebral palsy person would get to at least get zero X ears brain, um, mm. the very minimum, right? Because, like, if there's some sort of grand reset, right? Some sort of equitable reset, some of us have to become dumber and some have to become smarter or something. Or maybe everyone becomes exalted to smarter and, like, um, I don't know. I like the idea that God is a gorilla, personally. I think that that's a really nice idea. Um, you know, a big, a big friendly gorilla. And then you get up there, St. Peter could be another animal. They could all be different animals. I, I think the idea is that you can be whatever you want, you want to be in heaven, and there's no limits. Um, so you can kind of have fun with it. It's a pretty good hypothetical. What happened to Bruce? Did he sleep today or what? Where is our man lover? Where did he go? Wasn't he here like 20 minutes ago? Oh, you just missed him. Mm. So is there some reason he uh, has forsaken us? He's afraid. <laughs> yeah. He's <what>? Afraid? <laughs> afraid of what? The gorilla god? I, I don't um, know. I think he's afraid well, because he's now Bruce too, you know? A big undertaking. Um, we had a bit of an embarrassing uh, moment, me and him, earlier on, and I think I know that's he's not here um, because he um, he's really struggling with um, maintaining his erection, and it's it's something that you know he's not really had this problem before in our relationship, um, and it started today. Um, and and really, you know, normally he's pretty good with this kind of stuff. Normally he's pretty good with it. Like he's pretty open. He's pretty like, but today he just, he just didn't want to talk about it. He was very closed off, very caged, caged up. And, um, he said he was just going to go on a walk and he left his phone and, uh, he hasn't come back yet. It's been like four hours. So it's got pretty dark. I'm a bit worried. 
Um, but you know, he's a, he's a big lad. He'll find his way back. Hmm. Kind of complicated. I might go and look for him. So, um, on that note, thanks everyone. See you soon. Enjoy yourselves, but not too much. Yeah, have fun. I'll track his ass down. I'm not sure where he went. Anyway, it's been fun chatting today. Anybody do anything fun for, what is it, Friday evening? I'm about to play a game of D&D for the first time ever. Just, I don't know, trying something yeah, different. Really, ah, it's already really late here. D&D, like what? You mean the paper version or what? Yeah, I think so. Uh, just like a friend of my brother's decided he's going to just host this game at our house. And I was like, oh, uh, I've never played it before. I'll give it a go. Mm, so you're doing the Stranger Things game. Um, yeah, D&D was like the thing before video games were a thing. <laughs> I think it came out late 70s or maybe early 80s. And for a while, like it was weird. There was this time where people thought, um, there was this like movement that uh, look at these retards, these freaks playing D and D they're all like satanic cultists and stuff. I don't know if you heard about that. No, I didn't know that was like a real perception that was, I thought that was like something that actually happened. So what they just thought they were all devil worshipers and something. Cause they, well, all it's, these... it's like a bunch of, you know, kids sitting around at like around a table you know, using their imaginations and, um, you know, like, you know, talking about dragons and this and that and the other thing. And a lot of the ethos of Dungeons and Dragons and stuff really just came from, you know, I guess Lord of the Rings style, um, you know, Lord of the Rings style characters, right? And like, it was, so it was a paper game and maybe the funny little dice with the 20 sides or whatever you know, made them think of some kind of, I don't know, devil symbols or something. And there was this kind of like, I guess, who was it? Maybe it was like more the religious crowd, like the, like the Protestant religious groups and stuff like that, that came up with this idea that, uh, and it became like a television style meme where, you know, these people are devil worshipers or something. I don't know. It just came out of nowhere. Um, and then it kind of faded. And then eventually, like, the games came out on computer instead. Um, and I'm trying to think what were some of the other early RPGs, like Bard's Tale was one of them. Uh, there was a series of Dungeons & Dragons branded games that came out. I forget the name of the company that did that. Um, and then slowly, like, D&D sort of dissipated as, like, a whole lot of competitors came along, actually that were similar <clears throat> to D&D, but, you know, uh, trying to think of any names you might know. Um, well, like, yeah, eventually, like, Elder Scrolls, Might and Magic, um, and a whole string of them. And then a bunch of, of course, RPGs come out on consoles, too, like Nintendo, Zelda, of course, um, and lots of others. So at some point, it just became, like, normal culture, the RPG culture. And it just has remained like a staple of video games ever since. But the concept of it really started with D&D, probably more than any other tabletop game uh, before it. So it was really a huge uh, 
I would say a huge paradigm shift in gaming. Uh, so yeah, have fun with it. I'm sure it's a, you'll, you'll see it's interesting. It wasn't the first thing Ultima Online that really took to it. I mean, what's the name of the guy? Ralph Costa, right? Ultima Online? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, I forget the name of the guy, but yeah. Ultima Online was one of the first uh, like top-down graphics-oriented multiplayer online. That was about the mid-90s. I think maybe like 96, 97, something like that. It was popular. So it was a few years it was popular. And then the really big one that came out right after that was um, EverQuest and right around that time was also RuneScape. These were some of the really, really popular, um, really popular ones. EverQuest is really um, the first really, really immersive um, MMO style game with like, you know, full music and like first person and like, what is it called? Those sparkly graphics and things and whatever. Um, so yeah, the, like, yeah, EQ, RuneScape, right around that same time. Um, but yeah, a lot, uh, uh, Ultima Online was really what sparked a lot of people's imagination for sure. <clears throat> and then really after that, I think most people either played single player games like your Elder Scrolls, things like that on console. And then uh, there are the people that played MMOs online. It started to become two different cultures because the online folks have to spend a lot more time they have to organize into guilds and um, it's, it's just a very different type of time consumption and the single player folks, not everyone liked that. So, um, you know, people stuck with a lot of the single player games. And then of course, RPGs moved to the, the iPhone, iPad, you know, like app realm as well. There's a lot of those online still. And um, I don't even know what the good ones are these days. But those tend to be fairly addictive. So, um, some, uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a long history, but I think it was like late seventies that D and D came out originally, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe early eighties, something like that. I never really messed with it. Like in Stranger Things, the TV show, the kids were playing D and D stuff like that. Um, which I think the TV show takes place probably mid eighties. Um, but like, I think when I discovered D and D it's probably more like late eighties. And by then, um, you know, some of the computer game stuff was starting to come out and like my attention had already shifted away from that. And I don't know, I, I never, uh, found the D and D thing particularly interesting because you always had to have somebody that was going to be the dungeon master because the game is sort of run by someone who, who, um, almost like uh, so your friend who's inviting you over probably is going to play that role and everybody else is like are the players um and it was a weird thing to always have to have somebody that's going to have this role of the the show master or something like that <laughs> that uh maybe i just didn't have enough friends to make that make sense <laughs> or at least enough friends in one place to where you can consistently do that so um yeah, D and I never got into it for that. Maybe that reason. It takes a good little group of people. They're going to consistently play. It's very much like the Stranger Things TV show, where you know the group of kids hang out and they, they it's like four maybe yeah four kids, you know together could play. That was really fun. 
I must say, Sophie, I never got into D&D. We used to kind of look at people that played it as a bit odd. I have to say it. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what? Uh, when I got to, I guess, maybe junior high school, <clears throat> I used to think that the kids that were playing like Magic the Gathering and, uh, you know, these kind of card type games as super nerdy. Um, which is kind of sad because like I was super nerdy, but played the computer versions of these types of things. And there was not that much difference, except the difference on the card games is you sat and you played in the corner in school and all the other kids are like, who are these retarded kids playing these games? <laughs> like it's just really, really nerdy looking, um, to be playing that stuff at school. Right. Like, uh, so yeah, D and D is like the epitome of nerddom. Um, it's like the purest form of like role-playing game original where you have to use your imagination and you get like a dice and pen and paper to write things down. Uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a nerd thing for sure. But I've talked to people that are like, like tech founders and stuff like, you know, that have built some big shit and you're like, holy shit, they used to play D and D when they were kids. <laughs> like a lot, there's a lot of successful people that came out of like that kind of nerd dim, I would say like, yeah, but it all makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so a lot, a lot of the, the world you see today was created by people that played D&D, oddly enough. Uh, very funny. <clears throat> yeah, like some, even a lot of the crypto nerds, like crypto founders originally um, were big in that. I think Vitalik was... Uh, I think he was big in, I think I'm not big into it, but he was into world of Warcraft, for example. So, you know, watching the in-game economies and everything, um, certainly influenced his design for Ethereum and the economic models behind it. So yeah, these games do have a lot of, um, yeah, RPG game design, um, and world design has a lot of, uh, like real world economic and crypto parallels. So I think it's. Um, if like, if anything, I don't mind my kids playing as RPG style games because they teach you a lot about, I don't know, min max theory. Um, and it, it just, there's a lot of interesting parallels to like how the world works that you learn from those things. I, I certainly learned like a lot of ways of thinking from playing those types of games. T-Bard, uh, how many people are going to be playing with you today? Uh, there's, I think there's four of us. I don't, I don't know if it's really going to evolve into anything much more than just, uh, playing today, at least for myself. I don't, I don't, I just, I, I've always had a strong interest in video games. I feel like it's kind of a bit of a blind spot that I've never even played it once, you know? Which, uh, uh well, as long as you know someone that knows the rules and all you have to do is like, I don't know. Yeah, we have a dungeon master who's played like a couple times before. Yeah, perfect. So as long as you have someone that understands it, you don't have to sit there and read that fucking manual. <laughs> then it's all fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't read the book. No, I'm just... I'm just yeah, you go to, the, you you go to the bookstore and you pull the Dungeons & Dragons book down from the shelf and you start reading it. You're like, uh... Like, wait, do I have to read this? <laughs> like, is this an instruction manual? It's not really a story, but, like, I have to learn all these different, uh, like, creatures and what are all these numbers and it's it's very nerdy, no question about it. <laughs> you have to have some patience for sure. It's not a surprise that people that learn how to like can learn how to play this thing and enjoy it. Like 
are successful in life. It's not a surprise at all. If you go pull a book, pull the shelf off, pull the book off the shelf one day at the bookstore and look at it. And if you haven't ever seen a D&D book, like flip through it and go, wait, okay, like, let me see what kind of person would actually read this whole book, learn the rules and actually play this. Think that in your mind. And you'll realize like why those people are successful. Yeah, just the creativity, one. commitment, intelligence, all the things yeah, I'm patience. <laughs> patience. Yeah. So many pieces of that. Yeah. But you know, at the same time, like computers, um, personal computers, um, really emerged heavily in the late eighties and you know, the need to actually play the game using paper and pencil sort of disappeared because like a lot of those things are just like you know abstracted away because they're done in the background by the computer and you can just play the actual game as it was intended so it's almost like Dungeons and Dragons came out right at the right time for uh you know when computers came out because the game is much those types of games are I thought substantially more interesting um because of the efficiencies that computing brought to it you, you can get all the graphics, you can see pictures of the things you want to see. You have like overhead maps and you have like, you know, the calculations of the, you know, the, the warfare and everything taken care of for you. You don't have to have the dungeon master because the computer is that, um, you know, the dungeon master when you play is technically going to be biased in a sense. Whereas the computer, the story has already been like entered in by someone who's the dungeon master who programmed this thing. So therefore, like, I don't know, the story is much more fully fleshed out, curated and professionally done. And I don't know, that basically became the essence of like the future of role-playing game gaming and is still around today. So I think, uh, yeah, the, the, but if you play D and D you'll see where it all came from for sure. Bard, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you'll see. He's like, uh, he, I've like prepped him like as if he's going to some kind of church or like a cult or something. <laughs> it's like, uh, like if you go into a Cito church of Scientology or something, you're like, okay, what do I do to prepare for going inside this fucking thing? <laughs> like, how do, like, what manuals should I read? And uh, wait a minute, you're gonna shock me. What? And then, <laughs> so yeah, if your if your friend has like, um, like, um, he has like a car battery sitting there, and he's gonna like um, maybe connect your balls to a like, you know, the car battery, and like periodically buzz you. Um, when the dragon hits you or you die, um, then you know that you've gone to the wrong like game. Uh, so yeah, yeah I'm sure what's earlier than that. I don't think any of us have played before, except the dungeon master. He's only played twice. I think it'd be pretty casual. Oh, okay, so he's not going to like attach batteries to your like fingers and shock you. That's cool. Steffi, have you had a Scientology experience? I'd like to elaborate. <laughs> no. Um, well, so, <laughs> no, not exactly. Um, so, I think I mentioned yesterday. So, um, my parents, when I was uh, maybe in like maybe junior high age, something like that, uh, like instead of a babysitter for the weekend, they just dropped me at the library. <laughs> like, you know, I just stay there from morning until evening, and the librarians would look after me. And I just sit there and read stuff the whole day, just whatever. Um, they didn't mind because I didn't cause any trouble and uh, like, you know, whatever. So <laughs> I'd sit there. And of course, um, in the fiction section um, of the library, one of the 
uh, series um, was called like, not Battlefield Earth, but the like, L. Ron Hubbard, the the author of like Dianetics and Scientology or whatever, um, had a series called um, not Battlefield Earth or something like that. Anyway, um, it was like a series of and the color, the they were really big books, like I don't know, maybe like uh, eight hundred to thousand pages or something, and they were really colorful bindings with like neat pictures on the front with like sci-fi looking thing. And I don't know. So I, 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 I just like the, 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 I judged this book by a cut, the cover as it were, because <laughs> uh, a series of like 10 or something books. And I really liked at that time, cause I was stuck in this library doing nothing. Imagine being stuck in like a little library prison and you couldn't go anywhere and you just had to read something. Right. So I was like, okay, I, I liked getting into stories, but I hate the fact that like when you get into a good story, the fucking thing ends, right? It's really irritating. It's like, okay, I finished this book. Now what? Like, you know, you know how you want the story to keep going? It's almost like a, a season of some TV show you like ends. You're like, shit, like this, I wanted this to go on forever. Like, you know, <laughs> and um, you would, um, so I picked up this L. Ron Hubbard book. Um, it's a series. And um, it, it was pretty entertaining and uh, went through the whole thing. It didn't really get into kind of, I, I think there was some Scientology like vibes in there. Um, the lead character was very much like, I don't know, a, mm, like a Tom Cruise mm, type character that he plays in a lot of, you know, shows and things. So it's interesting. It's like a charismatic, um, like, uh, like charismatic uh, male character type of thing, sci-fi deal. And I think um, some of the things that are in Scientology, some like the general ideologies, I believe, were illustrated in that series. Um, but uh, beyond that, like, and, and near those same books was like Dianetics and whatever Scientology shit. And interestingly, I never bothered to pick those up. And I think it's because the covers weren't that colorful. <laughs> Otherwise, I probably would have read them, too. And right now, I'd be like some Scientologist in uh, whatever city. And, uh, like, you know, you know, uh, you know, like I'd be connecting like um, electrodes to your tits and measuring to see if there's aliens and stuff. <laughs> like <laughs> Scientology does some weird shit. Do you know that? Like, Slinky, have you ever been to Scientology thing before? With the like, no, where, no. They, where they measure your like, what is that called? Your your Z levels or thetans or some shit. Like, no, but <laughs> you, like there was, you know, a, a church or whatever it is. I don't know what they call them, but right down the street from my junior high, and I had to walk past it every day. Um, was this like in New York or where? Uh, Southern California. Oh, okay, because I knew there was a, yeah. I, knew, I knew there was a Scientology like thing in Manhattan somewhere or somewhere. I know I walked by it one time. But okay, yeah, California had some, some destination. <laughs> yeah, it was next to the library. <laughs> Weird, and uh, and next to a farm, and you would never see anyone come in and out of there. It was the most freakiest thing. But they always put up all these very colorful and strange banners about like having dinners together. Um, it just felt like a normal church, right? But I never saw one person. 
ever yeah remember. i remember walking by the one in manhattan a number of times and never seeing anybody actually go in and out of it either yeah same experience it's like if there's like a underground bunker like, <laughs> they're in the spaceship right like i don't know this is a front operation and the actual entrance is somewhere else right uh, Sefi, I've actually been in one of those places. I walked past one in London, really hungover, and they were advertising some sort of relaxation sessions. I thought, well, why not? I could do with a bit of that. Went in, it was a very clean, like it just like a shop, you know. You go in and it's uh, very clean and very nice and very peaceful and quiet. Doesn't seem to be anyone around. And they usher you into like a, a hall and they sit and there's just rows of chairs, a bit like a church hall, right? They sit you down. There was a few people in there. And then they come out, they do this full meditation session, which was lovely. And then at the end of it, there's did a they, guy at comes the end out. Of it, did they, like did they stick a probe in you or something? Or No, no. But at the end oh, of it, the okay. guy comes out and he's floating on a cloud. Or that's what it looks like. And starts trying to sell you Scientology. So at that point, it was like, okay, I'm, I'm so out of here. <laughs> Thanks for the meditation. No. That was nice. I'm so gone. <laughs> they might have changed your life. Maybe you should have kept an open mind, right? Well, I was okay, so... Over. <laughs> Way to <laughs> It's funny you say that because this was like an actual church facility versus what you're talking about where they had one downtown. And it's been there literally since I was born. Like, it has not changed. Everything around it has gone out of business around it. Oh, but it still Except stands. And somehow it's like, did you guys buy the building? Was it donated to you? Like, I don't know. Tom, it's Tom Cruise probably owns that shit. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, some some famous person in the town that I live in definitely probably funded it. The other, I like, know. I think the president or whatever was that Miskovich guy. Is he still around or? I literally don't know. I'm not sure famous. what the current status of Scientology actually is. I think the only thing I was quite, I re remember being quite relieved about is the door was not locked. <laughs> Do you remember that? It's like locks <laughs> behind you. To leave. And they, 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 <laughs> they, they move, the, you go into a portal, they stick you into the aircraft, the alien <laughs> aircraft, and then they abduct you, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there so was an exit. That's how they get them. Yeah, that's how they get them to the church, is like this underground tunnel from the shop. They're like, well, you're not going to buy my shit. I'm going to send you to the church. Yeah, there's no meditation for free around here. <laughs> exactly. You, you know, it's funny. I was on, uh, so I, I, I pulled up, like, I don't remember, it's, it's HBO or Netflix or something. And um, there is a show out now called Pennywise, which is about Alfred the Butler of... Um, Alfred the Butler of Batman, right? So, like, I guess he was originally like in World War One or something like that, and some other stuff happens. This is how this show begins. But is anybody watching the show about Alfred? <laughs> it seems like such a. It's in the UK, and I'm like, hmm, they're really reaching for material at this point when you're trying to do a movie, a, an entire season or something about the Butler. Sugar, have you heard of this? No, I'm Googling it as we speak. <laughs> what? First of all, I said, I thought you said the uh, butler of Batman. So that, that completely threw me. <laughs> yeah, Batman, like the, the butler of Batman, 
right? Like the, no, but I thought you said Fat Man, so I was like, fat, okay, <laughs> fat man, the Butler of Fat Man. <laughs> We're on Twitter too much. That's the problem. It's like, <laughs> no, it's pen, like Pennywise. Uh, yeah, the Butler of the story of Batman's Butler. Like, no, I've not seen it. I think he meets like Bruce Wayne's father, right? Uh, Thomas Wayne, the the character in the the comic book series or whatever. But yeah, the uh-huh. the comic book movies and series have gone totally off the rails. I think people have gotten bored of them. Like, how many versions of superheroes can you watch at this point? I get bored. Yeah. I mean, Marvel now is just, it's starting to scrape the, but what are we on now? Black Adam? Like, we, we're kind of like scraping now, aren't we? We're going to like finding superheroes. Not that I'm saying that he didn't <laughs> exist beforehand, but it just seems that we seem to be bringing as many in as possible. And we are going to the outreaches that I never heard of Black Adam before. Yeah, it's, 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 they've gone off the deep end for sure. And then they have all the like cutesy ones too. Like they're trying to be funny and stuff. And I don't know, like there's that, I think there's like a She-Hulk thing. And then there's like a, uh, like a Pakistani kid that she plays some sort of like cosmic girl or something. I'm like, okay, that's strange, but okay. Um, like, the She-Hulk was actually, I was surprised. It was pretty good. I mean, it's for like a hundred IQ. Right. But still, I was like, wow, I'm actually thoroughly impressed. Oh, was it was it decent? <laughs> I mean, you know, now, you now don't we're stuck think, watching. Yeah. When you don't want to think you're like, all right, I'll, I'll put it on. <laughs> but yeah, I was. Uh, but yeah, I thought, I that, like I thought that Loki series wasn't bad. Uh, that's not my vibe. But oh, you didn't like it? Mm hmm. I thought uh, you know who I've been really enjoying is the sinner. If you, if anyone's been watching that, the sinner. Um, yes. Netflix. What, okay, but like, what's what genre is that or whatever? Like murder mystery, of course. It's like the thing everybody's into right now. Mm. The other, the other big one I thought was pretty good was uh, Ozarks was really good. See yeah. that. Okay, if you haven't seen Ted Lasso though, like you're not you need to like get off of space and like go watch it. Ted Lasso, I think I saw maybe uh four or five episodes of it. Like, oh my god, how did you not finish? I thought it was like the most probably my favorite show in the last twenty years. Really? You, yeah, you liked it me. that much. Yes. Yeah, you I just like that it, character like, or what what did you like about it? The relationships with people it's just you wish you knew people like that in real life (laughs) some of them are crazy (laughs) (laughs) that's funny so it's just like these are you just you got addicted to the characters basically oh yeah i mean yes i think that's like my thing i like shows about relationships friendships whatever any type it's engaging you know what was good about, um, in a way, about the the Game of Thrones uh, stories was, you know, everyone wants to be a king or a queen or 
you know, some sort of like, you know, person of power. And then you realize like how fucked up that really is. Right. Cause like the amount, the power play and, you know, always like looking over your shoulder essentially. Um, and how like very, very specific that type of life of monarch type thing is. Um, I don't know. I, I think, uh, probably a lot of people think in their mind, like, Oh, I'm going to be a king, right? I'm going to be a queen. It's going to be glorious and I'm going to have all this fun. And then it looks like, I don't know, like a lot lot of what they do seems kind of boring. (laughs) It's just like waking up early in the morning and getting dressed and walking around and acting like, um, you know, uh, very ceremonious. And you have to do that stuff. Otherwise, you look like the little people. So you have to have something different than the little people. And then... You know, there's always someone trying to kill you to take over your kingdom or kill your children or something along those lines. I don't know. It seems pretty. With the uh, Game terrible. of Thrones, it seems to be like it's power corrupts absolute. That was the, the message for me, because as much as you're trying to do something good with the power you have, in the end, it, power corrupts absolute regardless. Well, you it's want also power because... for the sake of wanting power. It's also because you have to have the power to even just save your life. So it's not like if you, if you don't have the power, you're going to be fine. Once you're in that position where, you know, your very existence, um, you know, like it's not like you can just step down and say, okay, here you have the kingdom. Okay, well, what if your kids are the heirs or something like that, right? Like it just creates these weird dynamics where, there's way more reasons for you to have enemies than, than there are for you to have friends. Um, and, and it just becomes dangerous, basically. That, I think that's the moral of that whole story, exactly. I feel like when you're born into it, it's almost like this is the way life is, right? Of course, I would choose being homeless over that situation any day. Um, yeah, it just not something i would generally i don't know would you want to be in that position well in that world like i don't um in that world i think the little people um didn't exactly have great lives either right it's but when we think of those type of stories and we put ourselves in the the shoes of the people of that time you're not thinking, okay, I wish in the land of King Arthur, I was the blacksmith. Like, I want to be the homeless person. When you think of those stories, you think of yourself as a knight or a king or some sort of queen or, you know, some position of power is how you tend to imagine yourself in those positions. And then, you know, the good thing about the shows is that they kind of make you realize, wait a minute, without having actually achieved those things, you watch that and you say, wait a minute. It's like a simulation. Would I really want to be there and do these things? And then you say, okay, all right. I'm pretty sure I don't need to be a king or a queen anymore. <laughs> That's not me. And um, there are probably people that obviously are, are like political animals that love that kind of, um, they love that kind of life. And um, they, they will uh, like, you know, relish in that kind of drama, right? Like they, they, they thrive in that kind of drama. You know, it's like you would imagine like a, I don't know, a Hillary Clinton or something like that, or, or a Bill Clinton, these kind of like political animals type people that would like really love being around that nonsense. 
but super, yeah. super cut throat. Right. It's but so, I think I've, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 go for it. Oh, I've just had the line of work I do has exposed me to many celebrities. <laughs> and it's similar in the sense that it's just not real life. Like, this is not real life. Like, what they live, I, like, I understand why Lady Gaga struggles, let's say. Like, I understand, well, I don't understand it, but, so you, like. Like what, like, what kind of thing did you do? You manage people's, like, 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 personal lives, or you had to, like, organize events, or, like, what was your, like, an agent or something, or what? <laughs> Well, I actually work in footwear and apparel, but in a, okay. I work in sustainability. But the perks of that is you get to go to events. Uh, because we're a big enough footwear company, we can put on events where celebrities, big celebrities, can come in and party, whatever, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. Stupid launch of some dumb shoe, right? That's anyway. Um, and you just go into like the bathroom and like see. Katy Perry in there and she's like has an eyelash in her eye and literally 10 women are in there just doing whatever they can to get her eyelash out of her eye and you're just sitting there just like holy shit or like I don't know girls making out with each other in the mirror and doing coke off whatever and in videoing the whole thing on TikTok and you're just awkwardly sitting in the background, like, okay, I'm gonna leave now. <laughs> uh, yeah, like that's the same power struggle I feel as Game of Thrones. It's like no different. It's, no, it's the same. Thrown thing. into it, yeah. <laughs> it's you're just thrown into it, and like, uh, it's like a one-upsmanship of like, who who can be more insane to attract the attention. I don't yeah. even think it's insane. I think that's just life. It just like is what it is. No, yeah, know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. They don't. You're saying they don't really think about it on a moment to moment basis. That just becomes them. Uh, yeah, I think it's like a condition, especially if you were like the Haddad sisters, like Gigi and Bella. Like I grew up with them. I don't think they have any clue reality, and never have. If you know who those models are, like. Um, yeah, it, it sucks too. Um, what know. you went to like what high school or something with them or something? Uh, just like lived in the same town. Yeah, oh. and like sports oh. and stuff like that. Right. Okay. Um, it just you look back as like, oh, I'm the like nerdy crypto girl, and they're living this life of let's. I don't know, <laughs> dude. <laughs> it's almost, it's, a, it's, it's almost a difficult thing, though. Like, yeah, you're just like, I is there something wrong with me, right? Yeah, it's like, wrong with me. these are people that, like, the minute they leave the door, I guess they have to like, be all dressed up and whatever. So that would imply that they are having to wake up at, uh, you know, X hour. Um, and of course, they're probably going to have to end up sleeping late because if they're doing all the stuff they do at night. So now then by the time they get out the front door, it's like lunchtime or something usually. Um. But I don't, I don't know. I tend to think that every every life has its own struggles. It's just an every, I guess, level of life has its own struggles. It's just different struggles. You know, the lower end is survival. The upper end is probably loneliness. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Hundred percent agree. So like, yeah, has, yeah, Go ahead. yeah. If trying to figure out who your actual friends are, kind of thing. Oh my god, it's like the scariest thing, <laughs> especially when you're in your thirties. Like, oh my god, everyone's disappearing. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean disappearing? Where are they going? <laughs> yeah. Oh well, I mean, Scientologists like, are stealing them in the alien aircraft. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Don't go in for meditation in London. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, just like having kids or ultimatum—they change. They've gone through traumas and therapy, and you know, um, that's okay. Most of them will be out by the time they're forty. You'll have them again. <laughs> I don't want to wait ten years. <laughs> But, it may be um, not, it may be less time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's a lot of people's experiences in thirties, but it's uh. Yeah, no, yeah all, my, like all my all my friends, all my friends were guys, right? So when I was I was a tomboy when I was a kid, so all my friends were guys growing up. And uh, what I found is that their girlfriends, I, I was like Marmite. They either loved me or they hated me. So needless to say, I did lose some male friends because their girlfriends just hated me. And others just, you know, let it go off. And suddenly it's not so cool to be friends with a chick <laughs> when you have a wife. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, I mean, most That's of, an I'm interesting problem set. Yeah, I'm <laughs> a surfer. Like, I surfed, you know, my whole life. And there's not very many women in surfing. So all of my guy friends are mostly or all my server friends are guys and now that they're starting to get wives or have kids and whatever you start I it's what sugar's saying they get this like she's not allowed to be around it's like what oh my god (laughs) this is not happening yeah hard gay friends that's the way forwards gay gay male gay male friend (laughs) <laughs> oh this is know. why we, this is why women have gay friends yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got it uh, we uh we solved the problem <laughs> i know good. what to do now <laughs> well but like so let's say uh but i guess the other way is true too like if uh if if you get married or something, then it's like, okay, wait, um, like you, you know, what's the guy going to say about your your previous guy friends, or they'll be fine with it, right? I don't know. Well, yeah, no, that's, that's a tricky one. I mean, for me, I don't care. Like, I'm very laid back on that. I'm rare though, in that sense. Yeah, no, I've, I've walked away from a relationship because exactly because of that. But that's trust, right? It's not about who your mm-hmm. friends are. It's about how much they trust you. Well, if right. you're going to be in a relationship with me, you're going to be in a relationship with my extended, you know, people. That's what it is. So. Yeah, Wait, but they're not with you, walk, you walked away because of what? Like the guy did what? Ah, just uh, to me, it, just simply because uh, the trust wasn't there. So any, it was any friend that I had, especially guy friend, it was that there was something going on or had been going on at some point. There was no acceptance that we could just have been friends. 
So it's, it's basically trust. Yeah, of course. But like, you know, it's like the, but there's also an element of just gambling, right? It's like a risk because you, um, I, you can't build the trust without taking the risk in the first place. Cause like, how would you know how it's going to turn out before it turns out? So that's always a tricky thing too, I suppose. Mm, just like a game. <laughs> yeah. It's the, um, it's the same thing as all the celebrities feel except on a smaller scale. <laughs> I don't even know what their logic is. Steffi, like, <laughs> But go, going back it's to your Game of Thrones, going back to your Game of Thrones analogy, yeah, I would be so in there. <laughs> I would enjoy That's that. Like, I want to be the, I want to be like the bald guy. That's like, you know, the one that, like, the puppet master. You know, he has his little sparrows everywhere coming back. <laughs> oh, so you're gonna, like the eunuch that cuts off his testicles or whatever. Possibly gonna... not going that far. <laughs> 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 You're gonna be the eunuch that uh, that uh, does not need um, sexual relationships. Just like uh, just relishes the power of being in the background and like pulling puppet strings. Well, here's the thing: Maybe take away the eunuch and let's just go for a hybrid. <laughs> but yeah, you don't you don't have to be with people to be lonely. That's my my point is, and that's really what the spirituality is really about is. Um, you know, overcoming this, this loneliness aspect of man, the, uh, the separation from the divinity and, you know, the isolation of the psyche, you know, it's just, uh, it's just what we deal with is, as I think everybody deals with that. I think that's not just a rich people thing, uh, or like, uh, you know, high power thing. Everybody works through the loneliness of being human. It's just part of the human experience. I don't know, but I see that as a difference between loneliness or being, sorry, being lonely and being isolated. I see those as two different things That's because very, as a human, very. we are naturally social. So take away that ability to be social. And that's different from choosing to be alone or on your own or lonely. That's isolating. That's different for me. Unless, of course, you are connected, as you said, to a religion or something that gives you that company and that's different yeah but i'm just i'm more or less saying like you could have plenty of quote-unquote friends who are around you all the time right and you could be having like the most vapid conversations you could be uh unable to be yourself you could be unable to be you know, like unable to communicate, you know, effectively and still be, you know, it doesn't matter if you're isolated or not to be lonely. Yeah, that's true. I've been in a relationship. It was the loneliest time of my life. <laughs> that was mine as well. So lonely. Wait, how does that work out? Uh, how, how do you end up in a relationship and you're actually more lonely than you were before? Because you are you on it. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> there's like I have a great video on loneliness and like how you know relationships around you or neglect or needs that are not met can cause you to like your literally your brain chemistry to change and it to feel the feeling of loneliness. 
Um, and it just perpetually can get worse if you don't break it. But this mm. is like, I, for a minute, I thought you were going to send us like a relationship of your, like a video of your relationship. So that was kind of freaky. <laughs> but uh, ew, no, why would I ever do <laughs> No. <laughs> that makes more sense. <laughs> I mean, feel free. Feel free. There's she's no pressure. A, you can be yourself. You can be yourself with us. She's got a friends. one minute like TikTok or some shit like of the, like oh my God, <laughs> of, her, no. of how her relationship devolved into loneliness. And, um, this is the point. It and, went and, wrong. And the irony is that it has like a billion views. It would just be me staring at a wall. Like that's it. That would be it. <laughs> like that's the best description I have. Maybe, maybe the correct like thing to do for everybody is like you should. Everyone should stare at a wall for a while and then go about their daily lives. It's like it's only uphill from there, right? Like maybe you just give up everything. Okay, wait. Like this is what it feels like to look at a wall. I'm going to do this for a while, and then like everything else is perfection. Maybe. <laughs> I generally think that uh, that's uh, an allegory outlined in uh, Plato's um, allegory of the cave. Ah, yeah, maybe so. Yeah, maybe, yeah, I can see that. It's like from nothingness comes everything, I guess. Well, when you start to really get into this, this notion of uh, our world and our, our um, you know, our, our, our perception and all this nonsense, it's uh, become quite uh, a trip. So what are the kind of like Hollywood, whatever shenanigans have, have you run into in your line of work? Any, any like notable fun stories? Oh, God. Um... Oh my God, the Lacroix boys! Have you ever seen the videos of the Lacroix boys? Like trans, non-binary, very gay, pro, you know, gay, gay, queer, pro. They just really throw that stuff out there. Do you know who I'm talking about? Um, this this is what like some sort of TikTok sensation or something or what? Were, like, were these YouTube. people? YouTube, okay. Uh, I don't think I know what They're you're talking drag, about. Actually, like a drag type. Of, okay, and then what are they like? What's the? So, what were you gonna say about them? Um, they live in the apartment next door or something. <laughs> no, they were at the that same party I was telling you, and they full on were. I don't even know what I I think. <laughs> They started eating dead babies. Just say it. No. They like licking the ground and licking LaCroix and licking each other. And it was just like this awkward song played. And then they did some kind of weird licking <laughs> improv. I. You know what's really happening wait, wait, in those events? Let me make sure I caught this right. We're you're talking about the like L I C K I N G licking, right? <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's like an actual like entire show based on this, or were they like on the dance floor doing? Like, what are we talking about here? 
Yeah, there was a good fashion show with said brand. I can't say who. I'm not going to say it. Um, To, like, show off the line, right? Like, whatever shoes that launched. And it's this, like, really... And everybody came and surrounded in the middle of the club. The LaCroix boys who were dressed in drag, whatever, right? And then I guess like the dance and choreography was to just lick everything, everything around you, just lick it. <laughs> Do you, <laughs> just lick it. Lick it good. <laughs> uh, I think it was right before COVID. Yeah, right before. Oh wow, those are the days, yeah. huh? <laughs> Do you ever yeah. consider? Do you ever consider that those things that you're ever participating in like a social experiment of sorts? Like there's some like creepy psychiatrist or of some kind watching you and how you interact with this, this new environment of uh, people licking things. I mean, if they wanted data for my interaction, <laughs> I mean, I was, Literally just looking at one of my coworkers, just being, we're, we're both mouth agape, just like, this is not real life. <laughs> Wait, you didn't, uh, like, what did you lick in this uh, oh, no. orgy or whatever? Anything. I can't. I have to be professional. Well, first of all, I wouldn't do it. But two, I have to sit there and be so professional. You, you're telling me that you, you, on the one hand, like, have this licking thing happen all around you. You don't even get to participate. And simultaneously, like, people are not paying attention to the shoes or the fashion. But, like, I don't know. I This is one of those things where you just don't, it's at a level that you are not, like, just like a king and a queen. Like, there's just things you just will not understand. I don't know if it was art. I don't know if it was a meaningful experience like i it was clearly memorable for you though right so i mean the, some of these they got their every point time across. I go to, yeah every time i go to la i'm like oh god what are we gonna see next <laughs> you know like but it never got weirder than that thank god so but that's fashion maybe but they cute <laughs> I know that's, that's the American dream right there, baby. <laughs> American dream. Everything is culminated in that moment right there. They're all models, so yes, but like all and drag is like high. I think I mean if you're into that look, I guess, but you know, it's a good looking human, even if it's a man dressed as a woman, right? Um I don't know. It just is what it is. I have no point. I don't know. <laughs> Marketing gone mad. You can be yeah. yourself. You can be yourself. Please express yourself. I, I'm your friend. I, I want you to know I'm your eternal friend. Okay. So uh, then no, in I'm this, not attracted uh, to, gay, or to drag people in drag. No, I am not. But I can, I can say that they're aesthetically pleasing by the crazy amount of hours of makeup maybe they put on or the amount that they work out to look a certain way. I don't know. Like it's a very, it's a very high effort thing. Like for to yeah. spend like two, three hours looking like that and spending that part of your day on it. It's I've always found that very, very weird. 
Like, yeah, it's uh, um, but hey, if it fulfills them, and but I I find good, it then that's moderately fine. weird when women do it to to an extent. I'm like, what are you doing exactly with like? Why are you like? How do you have that much time to do that every day? Is kind of how I think about it. But so when I see guys doing it, I'm like, holy fuck! You're gonna spend how much time to like convert yourself into a woman? That's a lot of fucking work. <laughs> it's just it's just a serious amount of maintenance going on there. <laughs> I think they're getting paid though. So that's the other thing. You have to think oh, about that, it from in that, that instance. Sense, yeah. Yeah. Like they're getting paid for PR and like making a big deal or whatever. They're getting yeah. paid by the psychiatrist running the social experiment. <laughs> I've got a Starbucks near me and I swear to you, uh, the guy that like checks you out at the drive through is, uh, like, uh, have you ever seen boy George? Yeah. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, it's Boy George. Boy George serves me my mocha latte <laughs> every day. Yeah, but it's I'm an like, attention, right? It's an attention thing, surely. Oh, absolutely. But again, they're entertainers, right? Like that is an occupation, vocation. I don't. That is not a job by any means. Right. Wait, what wait, what isn't the serving being me a mocha drag. or no, no oh. <laughs> drag. Oh okay. yeah. 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 It's the the goal is to uh I mean the okay. goal is clearly to be seen, which is really interesting. Like so so like let's say for example, I was a man that wanted to that like in my head I was a woman, right? It's one thing to say, okay, I like, you know, I feel like a woman inside, but you're not treating me like one because in order for that to happen, I have to look like one. Uh, but like, you could stop there and say, wait a minute, um, you're not going to treat me like a real woman unless I do this particular thing. I don't have time for that shit. Okay, fine. I'm not going to worry about what you think I'd look like. And then there's the, I want to for sure make sure that I look like something that you react to me as a result. It's, there's a lot of mental gymnastics that goes into, like, there's a lot of calculations that go into ultimately, um, you know, you going down that rabbit hole ultimately, even if you were, like, even if you had some of those instincts. Because it's so time consuming, right? It's like a, it's a very specific type of work. And that's the other thing too, is like, once you start doing that, is there any going back from it? Not really. It's just a permanent job to do it every single day at that point. Uh, the whole thing seems uh, very contrived to me, very complicated. Yeah, very, very extra. But at the same time, if you're talking just a person who wants to be trans, yeah, you know, I have plenty of trans friends. They don't put effort in. They just are who they are. Say, hey, I am whatever. Please, you know. Oh, so you have a lot of low effort trans friends. <laughs> like, well, the, really... yeah. <laughs> That's a really. <laughs> I'm gonna tell them that. <laughs> you should. You should be like, yeah. What's a low effort trans friend? Oh, they're um, gonna you know. love that. <laughs> 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 yeah if they have a good sport if they're good sports they will love it if oh, not absolutely. they'll just be like hey what the hell 
what do you mean? Like, I, I put so much effort in. <laughs> yeah, no, I no, they will definitely not. They're not like PC and weird like that. <laughs> I will ask and I will tell <laughs> the responses. Yeah, but I, I want to yeah, come back and let me know the responses, what they say. <laughs> um it's funny like i've got um the, the guy that does my hair um i call him gay chad and i'm like hey gay chad <laughs> like and he's like he's this white guy he's kind of like this um lanky sort of character he does a great job so i always go back to him and um his uh he tells me stories about his like mexican husband and how he's bipolar and always fucking crazy <laughs> like this is the this is the this is the storytelling while i get my hair cut and everything it's it's very funny um but i'm like hey gay chad what's going on and i walk in there <laughs> and he's very funny about it he, he like is like he takes being gay as kind of like he's a good sport about the entire experience of it you know what i'm saying like he's like very comfortable with the whole thing and it can take a joke and all that kind of stuff which is cool oh yeah my i have a friend that i say what's up big gay pat <laughs> Big gay Pat. And it's interesting too, like um your great gay friends will have like uh, they'll have an entire uh like understanding of the different types of gay friends, right? Like the flamboyant ones, the um you know what I mean? Like you know how there's like some that have uh, do the voice and then there's others, you know, and they're almost like very conscious of that, that there's like almost like these like subtypes of gay individuals and and they're very like they're cl like they clearly themselves discriminate the difference between the different like elements of that which is very fascinating um just to kind of hear it like to hear gay people discriminate against other gay people is very very funny to me <laughs> like, i don't know if you've ever seen that happen yeah like a lot of my bi and gay friends like oh she's femme oh you know she's this she's that and it's like Oh my god, this is so complicated. I'm trying to keep up. <laughs> Wait, is there and and it actually is no different than heterosexual relationships too. Like it really is no different. Um there was a foreign. there was a funny there was a funny thing that happened. Um uh there was this guy that I uh, uh, that grew up across the street from me who um uh so this is kind of like the gay friend that grew, grew across the street from me. He um, had he, he ended up going to become like some sort of DC lobbyist or something. So everything he posts about is always like some sort of like uh, I don't know heavily heavily uh, left wing like liberal agenda type items, right? Like just all the time, just posting about the stuff in social media. And one of the things he posted, and like you know, like why do I bother? like trying to make a comment on one of these things i have no idea it's just like sometimes you just want to it's better to just like leave leave uh let sleeping dogs lie or whatever don't poke the uh, hornet's nest so i decided to poke the hornet's nest he posted something around the lines of like okay we need to have a brown uh stripe on the rainbow flag and there's this coalition to add the brown stripe to the rainbow flag i'm like so I, I kind of got into the mix and I'm like, okay, wait, um, first off, you're telling me that you need a brown stripe on the rainbow flag because there are apparently 
uh, gay racists who are racist against brown gay people. This this is the this is what's going on here, right? I'm like, okay, so like the addition of the brown and the black stripe to the flag. I'm like, wait, the colors of the flag. I don't think they're meant to represent actual human colors. Like, what? Like, what do you like? What, like, it's supposed to be like, I guess, like you know, the rainbow of spectrum of colors from white light or something, and how you know we're unified or whatever, right? Like, there's some meaning to this flag, but it has nothing to do with like racism. And like, well, we need to call out racism in the gay community i'm like okay all right fine um <laughs> like and I, I so i mentioned something like well i don't think you understand the nature of symbols like you just don't change a symbol every five minutes for whatever cause that you have you can have like some you know like protest or some shit but you don't change your symbol and he couldn't understand the nature of symbols i'm like wait you're wrecking your own symbol for some subculture problem and I don't think you understand what you're doing. And then he just went off on me. Um, and I, I think probably it just hates me now or something, because that's just how that works. I think people just want labels, right? Like, for instance, if you go on Reddit, there's actually a lot of. Uh, OK, so you have the colorful rainbow flag and then it breaks down like whoever you are. Like you have your own flag that like the colors like associate like who you are so it could be um a green a white and a black would mean you are aromantic asexual like there is (laughs) there's a code there's a there's a code yeah like purple is like asexual in general or I don't know, like demisexual is like some other red color. Like, I don't, it's, There's it's a, just yeah. a meaning of like labeling, I think. And which to me, I don't, I don't think is healthy, but. Miss Thinking, you're getting really close to the whole pronoun stuff. Yeah. Which I have going on. My daughter's at school, an all girls school, and they have this whole thing with pronouns, but now they've gone even further. So like there are a bunch of lesbians that don't like women. So I went to my hairdresser who's gay and I told him this. He said, well, Wait, that's not quite how that works. <laughs> a bunch of lesbians that don't like women. Yeah. yeah this is apparently yeah. Yeah. This is a complicated problem to solve. <laughs> this is teenagers. I was having a, I was having this conversation actually earlier today with some people about the uh the evolution of um I mean really this whole this identity crisis amongst the uh, LGBTQ LMNOP people, you know, the, the, it was it was with gay people, and they were talking about, oh, we don't we don't like how um, these people just identify, you know, like that's too far for us. And then I brought up the fact, well, you know, like you're kind of doing the same thing with marriage because historically speaking and then you know but without getting into too much into the history of the term and the the origins of marriage you know they were trying to say like oh well you know you can't just choose your identity and whatnot well i mean technically speaking these people i mean this is what it, it's a, i was trying to argue that it was a, a linguistic issue like if you want to have a gay marriage all right if you want to have a marriage be the term to describe something that's all encompassing between you know a committed 
people. But then, you know, maybe you have like a marriage that encompasses multiple pe- partners, not just between two or, people. Or it's kind of like make up your own word type of thing. Right? Oh, exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a linguistic problem. Like it's like saying, well, that uh, balloon is red. And you're like, no, it's black. And I'm like, no, it's red. Like the word red means this color. And you're like, no, but that's black. And I'm like, then why do I even use colors at all? Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, if it, like, it's like language isn't language. It's just, it's just anything you want it to be. That's just the funny, that's kind of what I, how I look at it too. I agree. Yeah. I was just like, I was like, well, well, okay, fine. You have the term marriage to describe this all encompassing term. If I start describing if I come up with another term to describe the commitment between a man and a woman to, you know, be together for, you know, eternity or whatever, you know, what, what is, uh, what's, what's, is it going to be the next thing is like, you want to be like in on this, like you, you, we can't have this term to describe is, is, cause it's something we're trying to describe that's yeah. observable in nature. In words, you know? if, if you created a new term called, um, um, like man, woman union, you call it, that's the new word then what would happen is, is that that would be considered discriminatory at that point, right? That's how that works. Cause well, it's discriminating, <laughs> it's like, which is the whole point. No. But, yeah, yeah. Cause then you could the say what man, woman relationship, but then I identify as a man, but yeah, it's just like this spiral. Yeah, but the, like there's no logic for any of this. That's yeah. the it's like, so yeah. it's, attempting to logic your way out of this is like, just like trying to, um, like, like these are folks that can't logic their way out of a wet paper bag. It makes no sense, like, <laughs> to think that uh, you're going to convince them with your. Uh, you know, I, I like on the internet how people try to convince people of, uh, like, you know, like using logic of these kind of things. And you're like, mm, I don't think this person understands a word you're saying. <laughs> like, that they're not getting it. But um, that that post Bruce Mace made yesterday was very funny. Um, the one he posted up at the top where he was just showing how like people at a certain IQ, if you ask them certain questions, they just can't understand even the nature of the question, much less answer it. And I think a lot of times you're actually talking to folks sometimes like that. And you think what they're doing is they have some really, really serious, very well thought out agenda. But in fact, what it is is they're just talking with a dimwit who doesn't know anything <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and uh, you're, just, you're just arguing Jesse. on the internet with like, like a wall. Right. Jesse, is that the one where he mentioned like loads of difference, like IQ ways of reading your IQ, like no, the no, numbers no. and stuff, Raven and stuff yeah, like that. He, he had like a post of like four different examples of where. Yeah. You, I didn't get you, that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he's, I don't know if it's on his little Bruce two account, but yeah, it was like, um, uh, he had it up on the post yesterday. I'll have to post it again sometime uh, where he like just describes how there are certain types of um, like cognitive activities, simple ones that when you try to get someone to understand, like they're not able to do that mental exercise at all. And it shocks people that other people that can do those things. Wow. Like, what are you talking about? What do you mean you can't understand this? Um, but a lot of times on the internet, that's who you're dealing with. And you're thinking that like, if you're really logical, you explain things really carefully, blah, 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 that this person's going to do, you know, certain things. And we, we deal with that in medical too. Cause like, you know, obviously, you know, medical professionals deal with people at every single cognitive level. Right. And, you know, if you have high blood pressure, you know, I don't care like who you are. 
Like your high blood pressure doesn't really give a shit whether you want to like take care of it with blood pressure medicines or not. Right. It just doesn't care. It's like, if you don't understand how to like maybe take your medicines on a daily basis, you just simply live less long. It's extremely brutal, right? It's not like, it's not like you can just like pick and choose how you want to behave and what you want to know. There are certain things you should just probably do as you're told because you just aren't smart enough to figure out like a plan. But like even in medicine, like I think something like 70 to 80 percent of people are pretty non-compliant with any kind of medication regimen they have. Like, um, you know, they miss their blood pressure medicines or whatever. So a lot of people do that, like probably. Is Steffi, to interrupt, is that intelligence or is that just like kind of people and the, the fact that most people look at life in more of an optimistic way? Because we think about kids, right? I thought having kids, you tell them once, don't do that. And that would it. That would be it. They wouldn't do it. But actually, you need to tell them pretty much multiple occasions throughout the years before they kind of start to get the idea. And even then, sometimes you still need to remind them, you know, it, but see, the, thing, but the thing is like just people. But it's also like this. It's like, wait, why did you bother going to a doctor to then like waste money on it to then be told like you need to take this blood pressure medicine? You then go buy the thing. Right. And then you and then you don't actually take it regularly only because you're just like lazy, for example, or whatever reasons so it's yeah there, there's many many reasons not just one but it's fascinating it's like 70 percent plus non-compliance rate with medications it's um so when people say well the man is making medication too expensive right like and like if you look at like uh how people complain about healthcare, it's like you know like people invent all these things they're they become relatively cheap and nobody like uses them properly so what does that tell you about the human race we're like coddled and just embarrassingly inept if anything like you it's almost doesn't matter how many excuses we put on it it's like we're just really not good at doing a lot of things <laughs> like and we're just terrible at it it's not even like and it's not even always just intelligence levels and things that where it's a, a factor it's just like all over the naturally map we, naturally we just don't like to follow the rules basically or something yeah or or don't believe like certain problems are as bad as they are right so they like yes uh, yeah so there's so many different rationales well, for example bury the head in the sand if I'll i bury you, my I'll head in the sand it will go <laughs> yeah i'll give you i'll give you a great example of how of a typical interaction would look like right so today mm, there's a woman that was seizing and um uh, had seizures badly enough um, wherever she was at that um, the the people in the ambulance had to put her on a ventilator and uh, make sure her airway is protected because it's pretty significant status epilepticus type seizures, right? So she, you know, obviously we have seizure medications we can give and whatnot and, you know, control the seizures and got her there. And then you ask yourself, okay, so, so the doctor then has to ask, okay, wait a minute, what happened here? Was she on her normal seizure medications and taking them? And this seizure happened despite being on proper medicines. Did the seizures happen because she was taking these medicines and they were uh, like insufficient in some way, like maybe they were not effective or maybe the dose or something? 
Um, was she not taking these things? And therefore, like now I shouldn't be increasing the dr- doses of these things because if I do, she's going to get too much where in fact she just wasn't taking them at all. Right. You see the problem. And you don't know for sure because the patient comes in seizing. Like, what the, you know, like, how are you going to tell which of these things? You can check some of the drug levels of things and say, okay, wait, at least this is in the bloodstream. We believe maybe she's taking this. And, um, and the drug levels aren't fully helpful either because sometimes the level can be positive, but like it's not enough drug to actually like control the seizures. Um, and then, you know, so you don't have the benefit of actually the knowledge of whether this person did or didn't take it. Then you call husband. So call husband. Husband says, okay, um, she hasn't been using her medications. Uh, so a nurse calls him and says, okay, she hasn't been using medications for a while now for whatever reason. Um, and then I ask, like, so then my question is, wait a minute, like, why wasn't she taking them? Like, is it money? Was it she just wasn't in the mood? Like, she didn't like how they made her feel? did like she having side effects blah 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 right like this huge black box of information that you have no idea above at that moment and um it's it's interesting how nebulous the whole process really is and so once you get this person off the ventilator then you have and you know control the seizures with some sort of medications then you have to get in there and ask all these questions like hey what happened was it financial? Was it this, that, and the other thing? And, you know, like, if you have enough of these type of patients, you'll realize eventually it's, it's one of these things. It's money. It's, I just wasn't in the mood. I just didn't like how it felt or who knows what, right? There's all sorts of reasons. Or maybe like, oh, I wasn't having seizures. I felt fine. So why do I need the medicine? Well, because the medicine keeps you from having seizures. These kinds of, like, weird logic statements. So, so, hugely, hugely optimistic. I thought I was cured. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, a lot of people do that, right? Like with psychiatric illness, especially like there, I felt fine. Like I wasn't feeling depressed anymore. Like, yeah, it's because, you know, your medicine seemed to have worked in that instance. Uh, okay, fine. And then yeah. you t- get no, off it's exactly my friend. Depressed again. My friend is bipolar. And that's exactly, she just came off it because she thought she was better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's how much, yeah. But bipolar people, that's how they behave anyway. So it's like, that's yeah. not a common. But yeah, so in this instance, it's like, you can see the typical problem and you will hear every version. Like there is no version of the story of why I didn't take my medicines exactly that I have not heard, right? It's just only so many permutations of how this can go. And so you get used to this and then you eventually say to yourself, wait a minute, but I, can't, I have to make sure I don't give too much because what if she wasn't taking them? And now I'm like using too much, right? Because if you assume, if you presume that this was a failure of the meds, you know, that's one different, that's a different dosing problem than someone not taking them, right? You see the difference? So it's complicated to, um, on any given moment to sort of deal with these things. And there's so many unknowns and it takes so much time to figure all this shit out, honestly, like, Oh, call this person and tell that person, you know, and you know, maybe the husband knows and maybe he doesn't and who the hell knows. Right. Like it just goes on and on. Um, but tons of these type of exam- And then even people that are, um, uh, like you'll have someone, well, I, I could go on with endless stories like this, but th- there's, um, yeah, there's kind of an irrationality at some level, but also just like this information asymmetry where, like, if this person had a way of recording why they didn't take what they didn't take, and then you have that information once they arrive, it'd make your life much easier. But, you know, 
it, it's made it, you're it's really talking harder. your way out of the whole ai thing <laughs> yeah. well not oh, really you're actually, program AI, an ai to do all that <laughs> no but see the ai i know it's actually fairly simple like i just told you how to program the ai that's it you can now become a seizure vector <laughs> like it's not that complicated right i just taught you exactly what you need to know that's it like, there's only like five or six permutations of how this works right so well yeah except the fact that you've got to deal with you know the father the or sorry the ex, the partner or the family or whatever this is a different ball game right yeah but it's like but you can't necessarily believe these people either by the way so it doesn't make any difference it's not like you, so like let's say you called this husband like uh, a lot of times you make a phone call and they're like, I don't know what she's been doing. <laughs> you know, they don't know. So it's not like uh, just because you call like, like, you know, a little, uh, you know, uh, robot phone call goes to husband and it asks a bunch of questions about, hey, has she been taking her meds? This, this, and this. It's, it's all doable. It's what I'm saying is it's fairly simple. The human beings are fairly simple and highly patterned, by the way. Like if you've done this for a while, you'll notice that there's like five or six, you know, or you know, half dozen patterns that people behave in when it comes to a lot of these things. And it's like eminently teachable. It's very um, like we're very predictable. I think people think that human beings are really very random. We're really not. If you see thousands and thousands of patients, then you'll, you'll be like, wait, uh, a lot of the same problems just happen over and over and over again. And it's, it's somewhat rare to see permutations of things that I haven't seen before. Here, here's an interesting one that was recent. That I was like, okay, I thought I saw everything before, but that one is new to me. Okay, so there's this guy. Um, he's uh, brought in. So he's a prisoner uh, from uh, a local prison, and he gets brought in, and he's shackled, and he's got like security guards and everything, and, and uh, he's um, like, you know, in the, laying in the hospital bed, and you know, he's got security and all that, right? That's a common thing. And so you, you walk up to this guy and you're like, okay, um, uh, like, okay, you had, uh, you, you, you know, you kind of had this cardiac arrest thing happen. You had blah, 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 this and that medical problem. Like the, that detail is not all that interesting. Then he, he, uh, you ask him, so how in the world did you get access to like, you know, the drugs that were detecting you know, and, and it looks like you had a drug toxicity event. What happened? And, um, you know, so I, I, and, you know, he didn't really say anything. And then I, then the security officer comes out and I'm like, dude, like what's happening in prison these days? Like, like, is it really, really hard to keep drugs out of the prison? Like what's, what's happening? And he's like, yeah, these guys are getting really, really creative with how they're getting drugs into the prison. They're, so what's going on lately is so, prisoners are allowed to receive books and what is happening is is that from uh, they're receiving books in the mail that they are somehow paying for through some network and the paper is laced with various synthetic drugs you know like technically synthetic drugs aren't illegal because like you have to have a you know you can't just make any chemical illegal you have to like like almost like take a patent out and make it illegal. <laughs> and uh, so they're actually lacing the pages of books and these guys were smoking the pages. Right. And I'm like, wait, what? So, like, <laughs> and this is like a thing now. 
So yeah, there are, there are occasional edge cases like that. You're like, wait, what? But at the same time, it's like not like there's anything differently you do for this guy. There's no cure for smoking those things. You just simply wait. When, they, when you said smoking, get, I literally had images of prisoners like licking pages or chewing <laughs> chewing on like Oscar Wilde. That's what happened. That's what they were doing. They were smoking the paper. They were like literally rolling. Okay, smoking makes more sense. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. No, they they were no, but they were doing that too. They were putting uh, they were wetting the paper pages and like squeegeeing them out into a little, you know, cup or something like that, <laughs> like getting the drugs that way. It's fucking weirdos. Like what is going on here? Wow. Yeah, the strangest things like uh happen, but but like but as far as the actual treatment of these things, there's no, they're no different. You just have to wait till the drugs wear off and that's the end of it. There's it's not like there's a cure for these things. Like, um, so it's, it's not a big deal. So like a lot of what we do is just kind of like, you know, make sure someone doesn't die and, uh, like, uh, make sure they're breathing and whatnot until these things wear off. It's not that complicated. Interestingly, um, no matter how many different things people try to do themselves, <laughs> it's very weird, but, um, yeah, smoking the literature, <laughs> like, wow, this guy wants to memorize Webster's dictionary. You must be an avid reader. <laughs> you know, it's like it's this big thing. Western never tasted so good. <laughs> yeah, this big book soaked in synthetic um, K two or something. Yeah, crazy ass people. I have to go to bed. It was really lovely to chat to you all and uh, yeah, have a great have day, evening, wherever you are in the world. Good night, everybody. Yeah, good actually, night. it's uh, Friday evening. I, I think I'll uh, jump off too because I think maybe. Uh, Bruce and the gang will show up later on. <laughs> Maybe do some other shenanigans. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll catch up later. Bye, Slinky. Citizen. Bye, Safi. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was part two of the two part Chepe Space, The Cosmos Strategy, recorded on Friday, October 28th, 2022. For terraspaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Put your hands up like you got a couple questions Ain't no misdirection, just a bunch of flexing I'll aggressive, insane from all directions Smoke blows in when I start a session Plank canvas, blaze up the handlers Rocking back and forth like I got the van stuck Don't grind the clutch, mind your hush Put your mask on and don't touch the antlers Feeling untouchable when I'm on the verse But in the universe, I'm just writing some words Enticing these nerds while I'm laying out my memoirs Like, remember when I had to fight the centaur? I'm a book nerd, let me take you on the journey Lost in the labyrinth, searching out the lost fern For certain, got the taxes included Acting like a writer, never felt secluded Just another fixed game of try my luck Go lighten up dog. it could always be worse Unless you're in the back of a hearse Then you're dead or putting in new speakers It's a toss up, driver or just tweakers Don't stress yo, I've done the research
research Living life like a bunch of fucking lemurs It's a remake Off the cutting floor we take a little bit of poison And put it in the cheesecake Tastes great, less filling Less stress, more killing As he blew the cornerstone out the building And the blocks came tumbling down all humble Feels like we're drowning in a little puddle Rebuttal? I should be taking off in the shuttle Getting high in space with the Hubble Spaces.